0: Hello and welcome to In All of Us Command. I'm Aaron. And I'm Kate. And we will be learning about national anthems. Every week we will choose a new country at random, learn a little bit about this country, and then we will listen to their anthem. After listening, we will rate the anthem based on several criteria and see how they all stack up just in our opinion. Uh, Now, we don't want you to think because of the title that we are big fans of O Canada. We really hate it. We don't think it's (laughs) going to do well. We make fun of it a lot. So, this week uh, we are going to be talking about Togo.
1: Cool. I'm really um, excited about this one, especially as it comes on my episode from last week.
0: I yeah, think. exactly. So, you talked about Burkina Faso yeah. last week, and Togo borders on Burkina Faso. So, this is the first time we've got, I think, neighbors at all, let alone in back to back episodes. I
1: feel like the universe is just kind of throwing us a couple of favors. Yeah. Like we get these guys are sort of close together, and you got those two countries that are both like in.
0: Yeah, the two enclave the, countries. Yes, that's yeah. the word
1: that I always forget. Um, I don't know, it's kind of cool.
0: Yeah. So Togo, as as we learned just now, is located in West Africa. It is south of Burkina Faso. It is east of Ghana, and it is west of Benin, I believe it is pronounced, or Benin. Uh, it is the 13th smallest country in Africa. It is still larger than Lesotho and Sao Tome. Hmm. Uh, Sao Tome is the second smallest country in Africa.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Um, I I saw it mentioned somewhere that Togo is one of the narrowest countries in the world.
1: Interesting. But I
0: couldn't really find a list of, like, countries by how narrow they are from, like, one side to another. So I just thought that was a fun little tidbit, but I couldn't find its exact ranking.
1: I feel like that gets complicated because, like, I always think about Saskatchewan as being narrow, for example. But yeah. there are many countries that could fit inside Saskatchewan numerous times.
0: But if you picture the shape of Saskatchewan, that long, skinny rectangle, yeah. that's kind of what we're talking about with Togo. It's, cool. it's tall, but mm. it's very skinny. Okay. Uh, so... Really, we know not a lot about this area prior to European contact. Other than that, it had been settled mainly by the Yu peoples in the southern area of what is now Togo and the, I believe, Kabye people in the north. Um, so that's all we know is which sort of ethnic groups had settled this area. Um It was first seen in the 1400s by, actually, Pero Escobar and Joao de Santarem, who we heard about previously because they were the guys who discovered Sao Tome and Principe. Um, So during the next 300 years or so, this was something that didn't get talked a lot about from what I saw in the context of Togo, because this is stuff that was happening long before this was sort of a independent region, a clearly demarcated region, is when there were, you know, centuries of Europeans landing at this spot and taking slaves and trading them across the world. Uh, Togo is right in the heart of what was known as the slave coast. Uh, There's Uh not really a lot of major harbor points in Togo. Yeah. But there are in Ghana and in Benin. Yeah. Which is about the same
1: yeah. end
0: result. So, again, not a lot of recorded history from this time, and probably a lot of that is really purposeful on the part of the people who were kidnapping people and taking them across the world. But... Um, That was going on from about the 1400s to the 1700s and would continue going on, but that's when I start to have a bit more information. Okay. So during the 1700s, the area that would become Togo is mainly inhabited by scattered tribes of these Yu and Kabye peoples. And this geographically sort of acts as a buffer zone between Two warring kingdoms that are on either side of them in like what is now Ghana and Banan. Right. Um, so German missionaries arrived in the territory in 1847 and begin to set up trading posts. And this period then of like the, I think about the 1870s to 1910 is known as a lot of things, um, it's given nicer names now like the scramble for africa mm-hmm. but it has also been called Let's see where uh, this is going the conquest of africa the rape of africa in yeah, uh, yeah i'm sorry it's <laughs> it's just what it's been called it's
1: okay it's okay it's what it's been
0: called in the 1870s the uh about 10% of Africa was owned by European countries, and by 1910, that number would be at nearly 90%. Oh. It, it was a really brutal period. Oh, Europe. Yeah. What are we going to do with you? So, in 1884, a German uh, delegate named Gustav Nachtigal was sent to convince chiefs in the Togo region to accept German protection. They did, and this protectorate became known as Togoland. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was recognized through treaties with Great Britain and France, so it was then an internationally recognized German protectorate.
1: Do you know, like, does the word Togo mean anything?
0: Not that I saw, but I'll look into that uh, when we're listening to the anthem and see if I can get you an answer. Oh,
1: yeah, I was just curious if it had come up.
0: Yeah, um... But during this early period of German Togo land, they selected Lome as the capital, and that is the capital now. Mm. Um, And they built a town there, and they built railways heading out to other parts of the territory. Uh, During this time, they traded rubber, well, they grew rubber, palm, cotton, and cocoa. They obviously were not paid by the Germans for their labor. This was... Essentially, a giant slave plantation where they grew all sorts of crops that were then forcibly taken from them. Awesome. Uh, in when World War One broke out, British troops from the Gold Coast and uh, French troops from uh, Dahomey or Dahomey is maybe how it's pronounced uh, would take over the colony because obviously Britain and France are now at war with Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Germans surrendered very easily. This was known as the Togoland campaign and was the first thing to happen in the West African theater of World oh. War One.
1: I. I feel, I mean, as we've said before, education is so concentrated on American and European stuff.
0: Absolutely. Um, I, I never- was vaguely aware that parts of world war one happened in africa but yeah. certainly we weren't taught about specific campaigns and battles no and
1: like as you're saying this i'm like well obviously this yeah. happened well but same thing never... with
0: samoa too
1: yeah but it had never like really clicked in for me until just now yeah that, you know obviously world war one also happened in africa but we don't talk about that much so it's cool to learn some things
0: so we we talked a bit about how Uh, Togo is a very tall, skinny country, Mm. and there is kind of a reason for that, is after the war, the country was then split, like, lengthwise down the middle into British Togoland and French Togoland. Um, Just
1: drawing lines all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: the British claimed basically the west half closer to Ghana, where they had a colony, Mm. and the French claimed the east half closer to Benin, where they had a colony. Um, And these countries were then assigned as Class B mandates from the League of Nations. Um, So I actually ended up looking into the League of Nations mandates because they've come up a couple times in the countries I've looked at. And honestly... The research I could find was a little thin on Togo, so I okay. thought I'd take a little detour and learn about League of Nations mandates.
1: Yeah, I was gonna ask you what this class B thing is about.
0: Yeah, so um, basically the the League of Na- the League of Nations mandates were used to divide up territory that had been held by like Germany and the Ottoman Empire after World War One, mm. uh, and a lot of these countries were then viewed as like not being able to stand on their own without foreign assistance. Uh, So, class A countries referred in general to countries that had been held by the Ottoman Empire. And these countries, I think, were seen as the closest to being ready to stand on their own. Okay. Uh, Class B countries referred to German held countries in Africa. And then class C countries referred to, I think, largely German held territories across. Southwestern Africa, and through the South Pacific. So Samoa was a Class C mandate.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Um, So that's just a little side note on what these mandates meant exactly. So they were geographical designations, but also designations of, you know, we think this region is the most ready to stand on its own, this region a little less, this region even less. Okay. So... um. Basically, there's British Togoland and French Togoland. These borders would shift a couple times in the years in between World War One and World War Two, but the borders of French Togoland at this point are essentially the borders of modern Togo.
1: Okay, I was going to ask also if they had, like, opened it, like, if that border had disappeared later on.
0: No, we'll get but, to that. Um, okay. So, um, when the League of Nations ceased to exist in 1946 after World War Two the nations that had been League of Nations mandate countries instead became what were known as United Nations Trust Territories. Uh, The one exception to that was the Southwest Africa portion of the Class C mandate, and that would eventually become the country of Namibia. Okay. Um, So at this point, it's this was really confusing in my research. It seems like there's a lot of really complicated political and ethnic, uh, tensions that caused this not to happen that I did not have the time to truly comprehend. So what I will say is that it seems like there kind of was a chance at one point for that border to disappear and for a unified Togoland to happen, but the referendum didn't pass. Ah. Uh, After the referendum didn't pass, the British government would incorporate British Togoland into their Gold Coast territory.
1: Okay.
0: uh, Which would—the whole Gold Coast territory would then later gain independence in 1957 as Ghana. Okay. So France made the region an autonomous republic under the French Union in 1956. So I was reading a bit about the French Union— It's super confusing. Uh, Basically, it is the next form of the French Empire they had like the French empire and then they kind of went, we should stop calling it that and stop treating it like an empire. So then it was the union for like maybe five to 10 years. And then it was something else. It's super bizarre. It's another word for the French empire. All right. Basically. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So they were made an autonomous Republic under the French union in 1956. And Nicholas Grunitzky was made their premier at this point. France's... Colonial grasp was really weakening in the mid 50s as a result of the Algerian war that had began that mm. uh, had begun in 1954. So in 1958, the people voted in favor of Silvanus Olympio's Togolese National Unity Party, which then be uh, like started the process for Togo to become independent, which they would on April 27th, 1960.
1: Oh, that's that's not today. Is it? No.
0: Oh, yeah, is it, it is. Is it the 27th? Oh, my God. <laughs> we're totally recording this on Togo's Independence Day, which is why there's that awesome new recording yes, of the anthem that up. makes
1: so much sense now.
0: Oh, The universe really is looking out for us. The universe? You, you said it.
1: With this podcast has our backs. The rest of it, who knows? That's but... crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> not
0: going to be released anywhere near the Independence Day, but today, no, but it's cool the day that we're reporting, recording is April 27th. Yeah. Um, So Olympia would be the country's first and only prime minister and its first president. He received criticism during his time in office basically for just incredible government austerity. Mm. Like, he refused to spend money on anything. Soldiers, like, Togolese soldiers who had served in the French army yeah. were returning home to their now independent country. And he was refusing to enlist them into the Togolese military Jeez. because he didn't want to spend any money on it. Okay. Yeah. So this was a really unpopular decision. And I think the refusal to reenlist these returning French army soldiers is the main reason that he was then in 1963 assassinated by the military ah in a coup led by uh, Nassingbe Uh So the leaders of this coup would end up bringing back Nicholas Grunitsky as the leader. Mm. Uh, he had been exiled by Olympio. Grunitsky would be in office for another four years, and it really wasn't quite as clear to me why this would end up happening, mm. but Aedema would seize power for himself in another coup. Uh, Grunitsky was not assassinated. This was a nonviolent coup. Okay. Um Eodema would be in power until his death in 2005. So he served from uh 1967 to 2005 as the head of state. That's pretty good. And that at the time of his death he was the longest serving head of state in Africa.
1: Yeah. Wow. Uh
0: he left so the constitution pointed to like one of his advisors as his successor in the event of his death. Mm-hmm but my understanding is basically that he left instructions with his military in the event of his sudden death to install his son as ruler, which is what ended up happening. Okay. um, His son is still in office as president of oh, Togo. Okay. So to my understanding, Eadema was incredibly corrupt, uh, really like a strong man kind of ruler who would not deal well with political opponents. Mm-hmm. Um, He tried to, but he really leaned into the cult of personality aspect of being a dictator. Mm -hmm. Um, He would try to convince the people that he had magic powers, that he was invincible and super strong. He fabricated a story about a plane crash that he was the sole survivor of to make him seem like this unkillable hero. He ended up hiring this, like, French... Or maybe, I don't know if the guy's name is just French, but he ended up hiring this comic book writer to, like, make a comic book where he's basically a superhero. He It's very creative. He, uh, my favorite one is actually these magic watches he invented. <clears throat> I was a little unclear on how these were distributed, but... I'm going to go with this one story I saw in a somewhat sketchy source because I like it. (laughs) Um, These magic watches, basically, they had this mechanism inside them that would light up and show his face every 15 to 30 seconds. Accounts vary. Okay. Um, And one story, the, the one from the sketchy source would imply that he forced his entire government to buy these watches by just deducting the price of them from everybody's salary <laughs> and, like, sending them this cheesy-ass magic watch with, like, a Togo flag wrist wristband. Okay,
1: this is, like, those stories you hear about, like, employers with, like, offices and things who make people get Fitbits yeah. to, like, cut their insurance costs <laughs> or whatever. It sounds a little bit like that. <gasps> That's, wow. Yes. That takes a lot of, like, thinking to he come really up with He really wanted something like to be, that.
0: like, the superhero of Togo, is, yeah. I think, something important to understand about Eodema. But really, we, we leave off with the history uh, with his son still being in office.
1: Okay. Does his son insist on the watches as well?
0: I didn't see as much about his son. I think his son is at least trying to keep the whole... Dictator status on the DL a little bit more. Okay. Okay. Uh, Still profiting wildly off of exports from the country and still refusing to be removed from office. To the best of my understanding, Mm. has been there now for 15 years. Okay. Um. But yeah, is less outwardly crazy. Is my understanding.
1: Okay. I suppose it remains to be seen if that's better or
0: worse. worse. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Do you want? A dictator on the DL, or do you want a an obvious dictator? I don't know.
0: But uh, I have some fun facts for okay, us. Okay, let's
1: have some fun facts.
0: So there are actually a few musicians out of Togo that have seen uh, at least decent international success. The first one I want to talk about is this woman named Bella Bello, and she sings this like. It's almost like Togolese folk interspersed with smooth jazz. It's really cool. Um, She made her first appearance on TV at 21, and that would end up connecting her with a couple like big producers who had led similar kind of jazz world music acts to international success. Mm. Um, She had a lot of early success when she started out and got comparisons to... uh, really a superstar of world music, Miriam Makeba from South Africa. Um, But Bello, unfortunately, would pass away in a car accident at the age of 28. Oh, no. Right as she was sort of having that meteoric rise. Oh,
1: that's terrible.
0: Yeah. There's another guy I wanted to talk about briefly named King Mensa. Mm -hmm. Um, His music is definitely worth checking out. It's a lot of fun. He is known sort of colloquially as the golden voice of Togo. Mm. He has a following in France as well as in Guyana, to my understanding. Mm-hmm. And he fuses sort of traditional you folk with funk and Afro-pop influences. And he really focuses on having uplifting lyrics. He really wants yes. all his songs to be about, like, uplifting the downtrodden. Oh. He doesn't want any negativity in his music. Okay. Um, so his music's a lot of fun. He does have a great voice, definitely worth checking out. It's a cool name, too. And, um, a lot of the countries we've looked at, when you go to look at, like, lists of famous people from mm-hmm. this country, they're all football players. And I don't know if maybe we've skipped some famous football players from other countries, mm-hmm. but I did find one guy from Togo who seems like he was a legitimately pretty huge deal worldwide. Like
1: soccer, you mean, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um... So this guy is named Emmanuel Adebayor. Okay. Now, he is a football striker who had a lot of success on the Premier League through uh, sort of the late aughts and early 2010s. He would win the African Footballer of the Year Award in 2008 uh, when he was playing for Arsenal. And the 2008 year was a really huge year for him. Uh, During that year, he would score... Hat tricks at home and away against Derby County, which would make him the only player in the history of the Premier League to score hat tricks at home and away against the same team in the same season.
1: That's super cool. I have a question though about hat tricks. Sorry,
0: three goals also in soccer. I
1: know. I was just going to say, is it true? Like, is it true in all sports? Is it true in more sports than just football and hockey? I don't
0: Those know. I know. Those are the about only two. Those are the only ones I've really heard it talked about. Okay, in. Okay. Okay. I was just, I wasn't sure if your question was, is it also three goals? No,
1: I figured it was the same thing. I just didn't know if it existed in more sports, because really, hockey is the only sport that is even remotely on my radar. (laughs) (laughs) And even then, mostly just because you like it, and I
0: come along for the ride. (laughs) But uh, during that year as well, he would lead the entire Premier League in goal scoring. He scored 24 goals in 36 games. Uh, He is also Togo's all-time international goal-scoring leader, having scored 27 goals in international competition. Wow. So he seems like he's legitimately a pretty fucking huge deal where it comes to soccer. Sounds like. Um, I got a kick out of their national flower and animal because it, no offense to them, (laughs) kind of seems like they picked the first thing to pop into anyone's head. Okay. The national flower is the red rose. Okay. The national animal is the lion.
1: It does sort of seem that way. Um, maybe they're going for like a Game of Thrones, like.
0: I mean, Lannister I dig Tyrell it. Like, who situation. doesn't love roses and lions? That's baller.
1: It is it is very. Um, uh, what's the word I want? Like, sure of themselves. Yeah. Kind of. It's like, no, we are going to pick the lion because
0: we are awesome.
1: And I kind of like it behind that.
0: I was, I'm surprised to learn that you don't need to choose your own national animal mm. or flower things. Like I figured only one country could have the rose oh. or the lion, but yeah. definitely uh, looking into it, there are other countries at least that have the rose as their national flower. I believe I saw Iran has it. Mm. Um So it's interesting that you can share. I kind of thought you couldn't.
1: I guess I don't know how you would like keep track or regulate that. Yeah. Like who cares really?
0: I feel like if I was founding my own country and I had to be like, what flowers do I have? I'd really exhaust all my options looking for one that isn't someone else's already. Mm -hmm. But that's just me, I guess.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I guess it depends on the circumstances and who's doing the choosing. Yeah. Yeah. That's true.
0: (laughs) Um, well, let's get, uh, talk a little bit about our food before we take a break to listen to the anthem. I'm excited for the food. Yeah. This week I am going to be making us a traditional West African, uh, peanut and chicken stew. Uh, so I'm going to be doing a sauce of chicken broth and peanut butter and, uh, crushed tomatoes, There's going to be chicken thighs stewed in there. We're going to serve it over rice. I, for one, absolutely love chicken and peanut sauce. It is one of my absolute favorite things in the world. And uh, chicken, sweet potatoes, peanuts is just a marvelous flavor combination. So I'm pretty psyched about this one.
1: Remember when we got Thai food that one time and you were mad because you thought they forgot to put your extra peanuts?
0: I I do. They did
1: actually put them, but we didn't know. (laughs)
0: You can't not give me my extra peanuts.
1: <laughs> I just, I like peanuts too, but I I don't like peanut sauce in the same way that you do. But you, you like
0: peanut butter more than I do.
1: I eat peanut butter with a spoon pretty much every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so on that note, <laughs> let's take a break and listen to Terra de Nozaya, uh, which as you pointed out to me actually is a line from the, french lyrics of the canadian national anthem yeah it
1: spooked me a little bit when i saw it the first time um, i was like Whoa.
0: but the english title for this one is land of our forefathers i love this anthem let's take a break and listen to it
1: great great
0: de All right, welcome back. We have just taken a listen to Terra de Nozaio or Land of Our Forefathers. Um, I love this I loved it too it is so good it is musically maybe my favorite one we've listened to so far this
1: one more than any other anthem has made me want to like get up and dance yeah yeah
0: so this one is um I really have not that much information about it so let's talk a little bit about the versions we listen to okay uh, the first one we listened to is sort of a very classical horns and choir arrangement um, performed by the Togolese National Unity Choir. Um, phenomenal performance. Yes, I
1: thought they were very good. They were so alive.
0: Yes, yeah, so polished, so into it.
1: And watching their conductor
0: was so much fun, yeah. too. Yeah. And the band was great, the too. The band was
1: great, too. Overall, very fun. Had me, like, doing a little... A little shoulder shimmy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the the second one we listened to, our more contemporary version. So we were actually going to record this episode on Sunday. Other things came up and we had to delay the recording to today. And as we discovered earlier on in the episode, today is Togo's Independence Day. Yeah. So just a wonderful little bit of serendipity. And because it's Togo's Independence Day, there was a phenomenal new version of the Anthem posted. Uh, Not in the original French. This was, I believe, in Cabier, but somebody please tell me if I'm wrong.
1: With French subtitles.
0: Uh, Yeah, just went on YouTube today. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. I was the first person to watch it. It had zero views when I found it. I was so excited. It's been a good day here. Um, And yeah, just like... So many people playing so many instruments yeah. and doing all kinds of different solos. I have to think there were n- near a hundred musicians yeah, on that like, recording. Digging
1: it too. They yeah, were having every a great single time. one of
0: them thrilled to be there. Yeah,
1: I liked the sort of spoken word
0: section sort of, of that, that they did in one? That. Yeah. I Where thought they that were, they were was all super kind cool. of addressing Togo.
1: Yeah, and like I don't know, I don't speak the language, so I can't really say. But it felt like at least the translation was not super stiff. Um, yeah. Which I'm, I feel like can happen. It certainly happened with the Canadian one, I think.
0: Definitely the translation in the spoken word section back to French was super stiff because they <laughs> pretended that the language did or the line didn't change yeah. <laughs> when clearly they were all saying different things. Um, and then the third version we watched was super weird and fun and i didn't understand any (laughs) of it and kate understood maybe five percent of it and we're gonna treat her as the expert Um, i don't deserve it just a little nugget of info for our listeners kate is a fluent french speaker
1: more or less more or less okay (laughs)
0: um kate is fluent enough in french that she can like get jobs where you need to be a fluent french speaker is that fair to say that is
1: fair i had a lot of help but yes that is fair
0: okay Um, so I tried to get Kate to interpret this video. Again, there will be a link in the show notes. It's kind of like a sketch comedy. It's these two guys just, like, fucking around on camera, joking about the anthem. And, like, one of them keeps doing different versions, like a rap version and, like, a kind of pop version. I I think think one of them was supposed to be...
1: I think he's trying to get it to, like, break the chains of normal March versions of the anthem, which I don't know if that's entirely necessary. The two versions we saw I thought were very lively. Yeah, as March
0: anthems go, this one blows them all out of the fucking water. But maybe
1: there are different standards for lively anthems in a place where, like, that's the baseline. I don't know. Um, Yeah, it was it was very hard to understand. Um, (laughs) I caught some words. I understood when they said that, like, when they talked about the national anthem, I got. That they also said like 80 or 90 percent of something because my understanding
0: um, is like French spoken across the world is many different things, it is many different yeah. things. Um,
1: and like if I went and lived there, I'd probably figure
0: it out, right? You could probably pick up the dialect yeah. given enough time to like acclimatize but to it. But for the first
1: year, I'd be standing there like a deer in. Dumbass sure. headlights and people would be like why don't you understand i'm only asking you if you want juice or not
0: i mean that's um, just as true as going to scotland and like oh, going yeah, to a coffee sure. shop Like, sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes it is it is very much and when it's your second language already there's like already a setback absolutely and then like yeah. again another setback when it's not the dialect you're used to listening to because i i mean i'm sure there are people in canada who speak a similar dialect but they are not the people who taught me in school
0: yeah so yeah Um, I know there was some mention of Eodema in the sketch video. I don't know in which context, but definitely I caught the phrase Nasingbe Eodema. So that's that's I'm only mentioning it because now I'm going to transition into the tiny bit of history I do have. Cool. And he is important to it. Um, So the music and lyrics for Terra de Nozio were written by a guy named Alex Casimir Dossé, and I know literally nothing about him. I had to... Like, go and get Fran- French articles translated online to even find out that he wrote the anthem for a contest at Independence. That is
1: very industrious of you.
0: Um, <laughs> nowhere in English could I find that information, okay, at okay. least not in the places I looked. Um, so Alex Casimir Dasse wrote the music and the lyrics for a competition. Um, I believe the competition was in 1959 for then Independence in 1960. Mm. And he won. And that is literally all I know about him.
1: Well, congratulations. Good job winning. <laughs> it's a great anthem.
0: <laughs> One other side note uh, yes. about the history of this anthem is it was actually replaced as the anthem for 13 years by a song called Lunite Nationale. Okay. And that song was at, uh, actually written by Nasing Bay Nasingbe Adema's party. Mm. Uh, it had to be changed back. I believe it was ninety three. It was changed back. Okay. Because uh, essentially, the n- the new anthem "L'Unité Nationale" uh, would equate Togolese patriotism with loyalty to Aideyama's party. Oh, it specifically yeah. cites in the lyrics loyalty to the rally, which is his party.
1: Yeah, I cannot say this even remotely for sure, but they may have been making fun of that in the video.
0: Fair enough. That it's That's possible. why I brought up that it's they possible. mention Aedema because that there's a decent chance that's why they were talking about him.
1: They were clearly having a good laugh.
0: Yeah. About... Definitely, they were not talking about him in particularly glowing terms. No. And I say that not speaking a word of the language. No,
1: but we talked about their like straight guy, silly guy thing. Yeah. When it's the silly guy, yeah. Saying the stuff. It's, yeah, it was, it's just for fun.
0: But, uh, basically the anthem had to change back to Terra de Nozaya in 93 because Aedema, at this point, he feared he was losing his grasp on the country mm. and he held one of those classic quote unquote multi-party elections. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and changing the anthem back to one that didn't specifically cite mm. loyalty to his party as a requirement for patriotism was one of his moves in this effort to look democratic.
1: Okay. Okay. Like fair enough. I'm glad, I guess. I
0: So I find it interesting that like the reason I included the sketch video mm. in my three videos is because it shows that, like, the Togolese people are interacting with this anthem. Mm. Yeah. Uh, in a w- way that some of the countries we've looked at, they are not. Like, they're, no. none of the Samaranese people are listening to that anthem. It's, it's just played at, like, military events.
1: Yes, um... There are definitely a few that have more kind of formal structures. It's like you only sing it in school or you yeah. only do it like at the events or whatever. Yeah. It's not.
0: And I find it, I just find it interesting that this anthem is so, at least from where I'm sitting, looks like it's really beloved by the yeah. people. And who could blame them? It's no, amazing. It's
1: an awesome uh, anthem. And
0: there's so little history to it. Yeah. I feel like. And again, maybe there is a book in French somewhere sure, about... but um, within reason. ...Alex casimir dossier and the history of this anthem, but uh, at least in English, there's fucking nothing. Yeah. So uh, with that being <laughs> said, do you want to get into the ratings a bit? Yes. All right, let's talk lyrics.
1: Okay, so I want to say first off that I'm really impressed with the the way they've sort of incorporated poetic language into this without sort of weighing it down. Like, Absolutely. When we talked about um I think it was Burkina Faso and that anthem that was full of like dates and, and important. Just unbelievably heady and,
0: concepts yeah, not just expressed so intellectually well. Yeah. And this is
1: not not intellectual but it it puts the poetry at a level that I feel average people can understand and appreciate it
0: well what I really love as well about the lyrics of this anthem and I think that this contributes to what you're saying of mm. the anthems or the anthems the ideas in the anthem not feeling too high-minded and weighty like yeah. they did for Burkina Faso um I believe that is the one we're remembering think, that I way I think
1: so yeah um,
0: But uh, I think the thing it is, is we've talked about other anthems in the past as being almost a thesis statement for the country. And this one, I don't think I would classify like this because this one feels so much like a call to action Mm -hmm. for the country. It's so active.
1: Yes. This actually reminds me a little bit of Guyana's. Yeah. When we talked about that, because it was also very like, we will let go the chains and rise above and I, I don't know. I love that. It's very inspirational, even though I don't live there.
0: So yeah, I agree. I think this one has a lot to say, and it says it very elegantly, and it says it in an exciting way that like makes you want to feel patriotic for Togo. Yeah,
1: I agree. Like I feel patriotic for just Togo now listened just having listened, to, the listened anthem to this
0: three times. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, it is long.
0: It is long,
1: but I don't care. If you're dancing, it doesn't matter
0: if it's long. And it's it's kind of a jam. I would dance to this anthem. Oh yeah,
1: me too. You could play this for me and be like, look, this is a dance tune. And I'd be like, great, cool. Yeah, probably it is.
0: (laughs) So lyrics, I think I'm going to score this one pretty highly. I think I'm going to go for an eight and a half here.
1: I'm going to go nine and a half. All right. I loved it.
0: It's the music where I think I am really going to just sing the praises of this song. It is so exciting and surprising and these motifs come back in unexpected ways. And it is so great. It is so great. I love it.
1: I'm a hundred percent with you. What are, what are you going to give this one for the music?
0: I mean, maybe, maybe in the future, the The great collection of anthems from around the world forces me to come back and re-examine this score. Mm. But I think I'm giving this one a hard 10 for the I, music.
1: Okay, completely independently, I'm also giving this one a 10 because I have never been so excited about a national anthem yeah. as I am about this one. And like I'll be honest with you, some weeks we get here and it's like, yeah, it's...
0: Good. I mean, remember Brunei? I
1: do remember Brunei. Sorry, Brunei. Sorry, Brunei. I really do
0: feel bad for the Bruneis on that one. That one
1: was tough. That one was tough. This one, not tough. So much fun. Want to listen to it again and all the time.
0: And it's not like I'm picking out the things I like. I like everything about this song. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, yes, I agree with you.
0: (laughs) Background story unfortunately, is where I think we are going to need to dock some points. I agree with you on that also. And it's, again, it's not going to be a zero or anything. We've talked a little bit about, you know, the competition origin story, as it were, (laughs) being a sort of a baseline, maybe a four, maybe a five kind of area. Mm -hmm. And with this one, we've got a little bit of added intrigue of the replacement by Aedema and and then uh, this one coming back.
1: There is a little bit of intrigue
0: there. You're right. But what it lacks is detail. I have zero detail.
1: Yeah. We don't, we don't know much about this one.
0: And even like, even me saying he did that as part of a process of trying to appear democratic. That was me trying to connect the dots Mm. in that, Adama had this quote-unquote multi-party election in 93. He wanted to appear Democratic. He also changed the anthem back in 93. I didn't find anyone in so many words saying that. It just seemed like the obvious explanation. It is
1: a logical conclusion. Um, I would not be super thrilled if I woke up one morning and you know, the Conservative Party of Canada had gone and changed the anthem. Yeah, exactly. To make me support them or else not be patriotic. i yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think so. I don't think so. What's the leader's name again?
0: Massing uh, Bay Eadema. No, no, of the, oh, of the Conservative Party of Party. Canada. Party. Yeah, that's I thought thought not was... his name. No,
1: <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's okay. I thought it was Stephen Leachie, but he's the education guy.
0: Andrew Shear.
1: Yes, that's it. That's it. Now I feel like a real dumbass.
0: It's all good. Not
1: knowing the names of the leaders. Anyway, let's carry on, shall we?
0: Yeah, so background story, I'm going to give this one, I think, a five and a half.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to give it... There was some intrigue. I'm going to give it a six.
0: All right. Significance to the country, I think... um, Definitely not a perfect score, but there's there's a lot here. Um, I wish I knew more about Dase here mm-hmm. because obviously written at Independence, you want to know a bit about, you know, politically where this guy stands yeah. when he's writing it. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of, like, patriotic zeal in the writing of this song, mm-hmm. and it really... Calls out to a lot of the history of Togo in its lyrics.
1: Yeah, I think the echoing back to the history is really nicely done.
0: And yeah, I like that it's not sugar-coated. I yeah. like that it's not empty platitudes. Like, the last...
1: am Canada. Sorry.
0: Sure, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We end this anthem saying it's over with slavery. Yeah. Like, it's not subtle.
1: Nope, it's... And the words, they kind of pull out, you know, dignity and liberty, humanity.
0: It's, it's very like classical John Locke liberalism. Yeah, almost. yeah, it is.
1: And very like French Revolution. Yeah. Liberty, equality, fraternity. Well, that's, yeah, that's yeah. What, what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think, um, I think I'm going to go another eight and a half for this one.
1: Okay. Okay, this is Significance to the Country, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go... Seven and a half.
0: And let's talk X Factor.
1: Okay, this has X Factor. Oh,
0: this has X Factor out the ass. (laughs) Just, again, the fact that the people are so willing to interact with this song, not just, Mm. you know, sing it at their sports events, but really... Get into these choir performances and make sketch comedy yeah. videos making fun of it. <sighs> um, I think there's so much here. There's so much passion and energy to this anthem.
1: I'm going nine for X-Factor.
0: Yeah, I think I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Let me just total up those scores. Okay. And the total is... A whopping 83.5 out of 100.
1: That's going to be hard to beat.
0: That it's, uh, I'll need to look at the rankings to see if it's up there with Slovenia, but it's got to be competing for sure.
1: I think so. We're going to do a recap anyways, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: We'll get into, uh, probably after your next episode, Mm -hmm. uh, after your Uganda episode, we will get into the 10 we've done so far, maybe massage some of the rankings now that we've got a bit more of an idea and, uh. We'll give a rundown of uh, how everyone's ranked up so far. That sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. So before we get into rolling for the next country, Mm -hmm. let's talk a bit about this chicken and peanut sauce I made.
1: Yes, the chicken and peanut sauce. Oh my god!
0: Oh, so good. good.
1: Must try.
0: I will uh, link to the recipe. I definitely didn't follow it to the letter, but. do it as as you like the taste of things and oh, it is so good.
1: Just the right amount of like salty and a little bit spicy and the tomatoes and the peanuts, and the extra peanuts to go on top.
0: Yeah, what you got to do, here's the trick, uh, (laughs) having made it exactly one time in my life. Mm -hmm. The trick is you got to use the peanut butter that the recipe says. You got to add some peanuts into the stew to like stew and soften up with everything else. And then you got to keep some of your crushed peanuts on the side so you can serve them on top Mm -hmm. when you're ready. Serve it all over some nice rice. It is Amazing. Amazing, cannot recommend highly enough. Definitely one of the best things we've had
1: I so far. Agree, and we're I feel in for like a lot of African stews to come. Yeah, it will be hard to beat this one. Um, we should also though talk about countries that most fucked. Your country?
0: Oh, I mean, this <laughs> is a, yeah, this is an easy three. I mean, I don't even know if France takes number one, but uh, I'm gonna give it like a three way tie to hmm. Germany, England, and France.
1: Yeah. That sounds good. There's, oh, I forgot about England a little bit. Yeah. England I mean, sucks.
0: England took half the country and they did. stuck it into Ghana. Never
1: gave it back. Okay. So. Yeah. <laughs> good to know. This is just, this is my favorite part. Yeah. A little bit is when we talk I know. about
0: the countries that
1: most fucked, whatever country we're talking about <laughs> currently. So I don't like to forget about it. Anyways, let's roll for your next. Let's um, roll. Your next one.
0: The giant 206 sided die says 61.
1: 61. That gives you Eswatini. Okay. Which, again, in my full blown ignorance of the world, I have never heard of.
0: Okay. Have you? I think I encountered. No, no, no. (laughs) I think I encountered the name Eswatini in my research of somewhere else. And I'm not going to get ahead of myself and claim what the name was, but I do think up until fairly recently it was named something other than that. Okay. Okay.
1: This will be interesting to learn about then. All right. Okay. And I'll be back next week with an episode on Uganda.
0: Yes, Mm -hmm. I am very excited. And we'll see you then. And then we will uh, get into our rankings. Yeah. All right. See you next week, everyone. we get something very wrong did we skip an entire part of the story that's worth mentioning that's very likely and we'd love to hear the correct version please tweet us at iaouc podcast or send us an email at in all of us command podcast at gmail.com we record these episodes a bit in advance so you may not hear a correction right away but we are not too big to admit we are wrong and it will be corrected